When it comes to modernizing the IT endpoints soldiers and Army employees use every day, officials think the best approach might be to let them bring their own. Starting in October, the Army will start two new pilot programs. One will let thousands of users bring their own devices to Army networks in a way the Army says will be highly secure. The second will let them connect to virtual desktops, significantly extending the Army's network reach. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu has an update. The Army's been testing technologies to underpin a BYOD solution for mobile devices since last year. Now officials are ready to roll it out to a significant user base. A formal pilot project is expected to start within the next 45 days. Lieutenant General John Morrison, the Army's Deputy Chief of Staff for IT and Cyber Issues, says it's part of an overall effort to create a unified network that relies much more heavily on cloud technologies, zero-trust principles, and commercial solutions. And what that means is you can now, much like you do in the commercial sector, use your personal device, but we will put a secure capability on it that allows you to log back into the Army network and conduct official business. Think of the operational effectiveness that will come with that. We have layered in security, all based off of zero trust principles. And that notion of knowing who that individual user is. And think of the possible economic or fiscal efficiencies that we potentially could get. Morrison says the first pilot users will be concentrated in the National Guard and Army Reserve, but active duty soldiers will be part of the mix fairly soon, too. Then the pilot will expand to units stationed outside the United States. It's not yet clear how many total users will be involved, but officials have previously said they hope to involve up to 20,000 in the effort by the end of this year. The way that we generally approach this is we onboard what we call champions. Uh, Those are both technical users and just regular users. The reason we do that is while the technical folks talking to users in that environment produces, we learned it with Army 365, just amazing TTPs, tactics, techniques, and procedures, so that we start doing the broader onboarding, it it really just, just makes it so much easier. The Army has been discussing the BYOD concept for years, and Morrison says part of the holdup has been ensuring the solution the Army adopts has adequate security. He says officials are now confident that that's the case. If you don't bake in cybersecurity at the very, very front end and do it continuously, uh, then we're obviously open up some holes in our swing. Because that's been one of the big concerns about anybody using their personal device to conduct business. But since it's done in a virtualized environment that is hosted up in the cloud through the DOD, it's very, very, very secure. We have had it red teamed um, at nauseum by elements outside of the Department of the Army. And the assessment that came back in, it said the path that we're on is one of the most mature that's out there. We're, we're pretty excited about this, and it's taken us a while to get to this point, both from a policy perspective and from a building out the environment, but we are right on the cusp of implementation. Meanwhile, the same foundations the Army laid to support access to commercial cloud are also going to let it start testing virtualized desktops. Both efforts are being managed by the Army's Enterprise Cloud Management Agency. That separate pilot to prove out Microsoft Azure virtual desktops will also start by early October. Morrison says there, too, the initial focus will be the Guard and Reserve. We are targeting reserve centers that may be out in remote areas where we may not want to extend military infrastructure and communications. And we can now leverage what is out there, yet with this virtual uh, infrastructure, it'll be just like they were at Fort Bragg or Fort Gordon or you pick a post. 
but just think of the power of it where you don't have to buy a laptop everywhere that you go to put on a desk. You're now able to buy a relatively dumb device that when you log into this environment, you it's almost as if you have your own personal desktop. We see both a uh, traveling perspective for this, a mobility perspective for both of these capabilities, but we also see an application to how do we actually operationalize this at our home stations, our installations, uh, and again, think about some of our armories and reserve centers that are way away from any military installations. Think of the benefits that we can get from there. And the results of the virtualization pilots could have big implications for what the Army ultimately decides it needs to do to modernize the aging IT infrastructure on its bases. Earlier this year, the Army ended another pilot program called Enterprise IT as a Service, designed to test the concept of letting a single vendor deliver networking and end-user devices to a particular base. Morrison says the Army learned a lot from those pilots, but there's now a greater push for modernization approaches that are much less base-centric and much more focused on enterprise capabilities delivered from the cloud. So we're shifting, right, because the environment is shifting on us. And the reason for that shift is if you looked at where we were at 12 years ago, buying switches for every floor of every building and building out that topology, that made a lot of sense 12 years ago. Think about the advent of advanced wireless. Think about 5G. Think about virtualization and how that's matured. For its unclassified systems, Morrison says the Army is thinking about its next steps under the umbrella of an effort called NipperNet optimization. But he says those unclassified networks are a relatively low priority compared with the work the Army needs to do to reimagine the connectivity of its classified systems. So for at least the next year or two, more energy is going to get devoted to ensuring the service's unified network vision works at the classified level and modernizing those systems. Because quite frankly, we needed it. We are operating against very thinking adversaries, and we needed to rapidly increase uh, our, our secure capabilities. Because that's also a key part of this notion of a unified network, is how do you get the secure architecture out there that just makes it absolutely seamless whether you are in garrison or at the tactical edge. And we'll build that out here over the next 24 to 36 months, but we're already onboarding users onto it because it's that critical that we increase some of the security especially as we are doing uh, protection of our modernization efforts. Jared Serbu, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. 
but I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old and uh, I remember I really wanted to play little league baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might've had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment and, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, uh, you know, really it was Delbert Visor, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, Admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how's that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social 
Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called Labor and Employee Relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current uh, current times, I just it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Reconnect with a carpool or vanpool. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others that live and work near or at the same place as you. Prefer taking the bus or train? There's never been a better time to reconnect with transit. Plus, you have the added comfort of knowing Guaranteed Ride Home is there for any unexpected emergency for free. For more options, visit commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. Some restrictions apply. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.